Hey everybody, welcome. Tux Weekend starts now. Good morning, welcome. Uh, Mad Dog Mall is on today. Hey. Actually, Madison Quimby, legally now, so weird. Um, <laughs> People still call me Mall, and Ryan gets mad. <laughs> or move that back, either okay. way. But uh, yeah, um, so your anniversary is in like a week. Yeah. How many years is that now? Two. Okay. <laughs> Big I can whopping two years. Remember the day, but I don't remember the year. So, yeah. uh, and plus, it, Ryan just fits so well. It's kind of like he's always been around, and and it just works. But uh, two years married, you're still in the honeymoon phase, right? Kind of. I don't know. I think that we've kind of gone through a lot in even just our first year of marriage. Um, going through a change of job. I started a new job and, um, then the loss of Brian, I think that all kind of, I mean, that happened just a few months after got married in June and he passed away in November. So I think we went through a lot in that first year of marriage that kind of, I don't know, rushed us out of that honeymoon phase, but not in a bad way. You are blowing the doors off of my whole plan in oh. the first like 10 seconds. Um, so let's go back and we'll start with some um, definitions because – and this is one of the hardest things that I was thinking about because we are close. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really hard to interview somebody that you're close to because it's kind of that that thing that people are afraid of when you get married to like your best friend or somebody you've been with a long time. They're like, well – um, aren't you going to run them out of things to talk about? And I mean, that's kind of the, I'm using air quotes here. Nobody can see us, but, um, <laughs> millennial excuse as to why I don't want to get married. Cause I might get bored with this person someday in life and I might want to move on. And, um, it's kind of the same thing here is like, what the heck are we going to talk about? <laughs> I know a lot about you, you know, a lot about me. And so, um, I think that's kind of what the scary part of for you and for most of the, my family that I interview is they're like, um, I, I, what are we going to talk about? We know about? everything. Yeah. So, um, Maddie is my sister. Uh, she goes by Maddie. Um, but I gave her the ma- name of Madison and mm-hmm. how did that, uh, impact you through your life knowing that your three-year-old brother was very adamant about your name? Um, I don't know if I've ever really thought about how it affected me in like a joking way. I'd always joke because I was one of few Madisons when I was little. And then as I got older, it became more popular. So I didn't really have the unique name that you have. And I would always joke that I could have had a unique name, but a three-year-old named me. Um, but I think if I'm thinking about how it impacted me. I think it just shows how much you cared for your little sister, even at three years old. And I mean, I knew that growing up, I mean, you were my brother, but you were also my best friend, but you were also my second dad. I mean, there's just so many different ways. And I see that so much in Tracer now, um, and how he cares for Kimber and Sperry, but more Kimber being younger. Yeah, it was, it's funny that 
you you bring my kids up right away too because last night I had a, a conversation with Sperry, my oldest. Uh, she's seven right now, and uh, we were playing catch in the front yard, and and uh, right before bed, I asked her. I said, you know, do you do you want to be good at softball? Because sometimes her attitude isn't that she's trying very much. And I'm like, if you don't want to be good at it, like we'll just skate through and we'll find something that you enjoy doing. And we'll like be really good at that. But if you want to be good, how do you get good? I practiced dad. Okay. And then I said, Hey, did you see that picture of aunt Maddie at grandma's house pitching? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, did she look like a badass? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want to be a badass? She's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. (laughs) So you want to practice tomorrow. And, uh, then I got Kimber asleep and I got ready to leave their room. And she's like, dad, um, I don't know if we can play catch tomorrow. I'm like, really? Why? She goes, I think it's going to rain. And I'm like, all right, you know, we'll make it work. Maybe we can go in the basement or something. But she was thinking about it though. Yeah. And it was just cool to, to be like, Hey, you want to be like your, your badass aunt Maddie. And so, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, some other definitions. Uh, Ryan is your husband. Yes. And his dad is Brian. Yes. Very confusing. About. So, yeah, Brian and Ryan. And um, I I got the pleasure, I got the opportunity to go on a hog hunt with them before you guys were even married and, uh, and got to spend some time with Brian. So um, thank God because, uh, as you were saying, um, we lost him right after you guys got married, but, uh, you might go over that again briefly to kind of explain to the audience, um, what happened. Uh, you guys were married in, uh, at the end of June, uh, we're recording this June of, of 2020 and, uh, you guys were married June of 2018 mm-hmm. and, uh, pick it up from there yeah um brian is ryan's dad and they're very close they um were very close growing up and um definitely ryan's best friend and we got married like you said june 23rd of 2018 and then um november 4th of 2018 we lost brian in just a freak car accident um that Definitely turned our worlds upside down and definitely something that we didn't think we were going to have to overcome and deal with within the first couple months of marriage. But I think it definitely brought us closer like any type of thing like that would. So, Yeah, and uh, you guys were fortunate to go through marriage prep with with Father Jay, Mm -hmm. Um, but talk a little bit about how prepared you were to enter into marriage with this strong, pretty independent guy and then have both of your worlds just shattered quickly. I I don't think that you can be prepared for it, honestly. Um, I think that I think Ryan and I, you know, built a pretty strong foundation. We dated for three years, a little over three years. And so um, I think we definitely built a very strong foundation. Um, And, yeah, I mean, Ryan's, you don't see a lot of emotion from him um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, And then when something like that hits, it definitely just um, flips your world upside down and – you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help him. All I knew is just to 
be there and just to listen and just to, you know, support him and his family any way that I could and um, try to stay strong for him, which, you know, I mean, you grew up with me. I'm not the most emotional person ever, but, um, and I think I stayed pretty strong throughout the week, but I just remember right after um, the funeral, we were getting in the car to leave and Ryan handed me the urn with Brian and that was it. Like I lost it at that moment. Yeah. Um, I remember saying, I don't remember who I told this to, I said, but it's, it's weird how, I don't know if it's just the good Lord's plan or what, but we're like destined to be, um, married to people who have lost parents mm-hmm. and I, my wife lost her dad when she was super young. So, um, I didn't have to help her through that. And she, I mean, she was so young. She doesn't even remember, uh, that very much, but still just being, it, it's tough. Um, well, and mom losing her dad yeah. at nine, almost 10. So, you know, I think that they have that commonality between them that kind of bonds us as an entire family. Yeah. And, and we just live in like this little town in, you know, Midwest Kansas. And I don't know if, if that has anything to do with just the the strong faith, strong family bonds. It's, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a teacher. Yeah. We're going to get into that here. Um, You've had a lot of different teaching gigs, mm-hmm. I guess. Speak about the, I don't know how to even ask the question, the vast different experiences you've had from Kansas City to um, kids who are on the spectrum to now your dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start there. What is this new job that you just got and um, why is it your dream job? Um, well, I'm teaching at Holy Family. This coming school year will be my third year there. Um, and yeah, it was my dream to always teach at Holy Family, I think, because that's where I went to school. And it just definitely formed me as a Catholic. It formed me as a person. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to help form the next generation as strong Catholics and as strong learners and just good people. Um, And I think it became even more of a dream as I had other teaching jobs because while I loved each job that I had, each school that I worked at, I always felt that something was missing and it was because I couldn't share my faith with my students. You know, I would have students go through tough times and things and I wanted to pull the Lord into it and be able to talk to them about those things, but you just aren't able to as freely. And so, you know, that just kind of solidified my dream job. And, you know, I was at Roosevelt for three years prior and, um, making that decision to switch to Holy Family was probably one of the biggest decisions Ryan and I had to make right off the bat. We weren't quite married yet, but we were engaged and um, had to decide whether that was a good move um, because there was a 
pretty big decrease in pay to go from the public school to a private school. Um, So we really had to look at that. And while obviously money isn't everything, it's something to consider. Um, But if you ask Ryan now, he would say it was the best move just because I'm so much happier there. And not that I wasn't happy at Roosevelt or anywhere else. It just, you can tell that I'm just like it fulfilled that part of me that was missing in all my other jobs. Well, no, nobody goes to school, gets their teaching certificate and says, I cannot wait to graduate and get my six figure high paying job in teaching. Yeah. And, but you, you went a step further and said, my dream job is at a Catholic school. And I know for a fact, I mean, even growing up when we went to Catholic school, they even told the students, Hey, the teachers are not getting paid much here. Um, you need to respect them to another level because they're not here for a paycheck. <laughs> they're here to bless you. Yeah. And I think it it's obvious as to why um, – I don't know if obvious is the right word, but um, it makes sense because of how long the teachers stay at Holy Family. I'm teaching with teachers that taught me. And it just shows the environment that is there and that, yeah, the the pay isn't as high as you could get elsewhere, but the rewards are so much beyond that. Is that um, intimidating to show up and say, uh, hey, Miss Helgett, <laughs> hey, Mrs. Schrant, I'm new to this kind of um, I'm here to teach with you. Um, yeah, and definitely knowing that I took over for Mrs. Shirley Dinkle. Legend. Right. I mean, growing up, you thought she was actually a walking saint um, on earth, but taking over her for her was definitely nerve-wracking. Um, I think if I would have been a first-year teacher, it would be very intimidating. Um, man, I'm going in my ninth year teaching, eighth or ninth year teaching. Um, so I think that that helped, but it is still a little bit, um, intimidating just knowing how I'll relate to them on this new kind of professional level rather than that they're my teacher or superior. Um, but I have so many different relationships throughout there cause I'm teaching with teachers who taught me and then Miss Helgett was my student teacher. When I was student teaching, she was my mentor teacher. So I kind of had a different relationship with her. Um, I'm my first partner teacher was Mrs. Chris Dinkle. And I, she never taught me. I was actually kind of scared of her, to be honest. And I've told her that before. Um, and she was one that interviewed me and then she became my co-teacher and, um, I mean, she's amazing. But then also my principal, Rachel, she um, was my teacher and we built a pretty fun kind of friendship through Stuco in high school and we kept that up throughout the years and then now she's my principal. And so I feel like I have kind of a different relationship with so many different people there um, and that just makes it perfect. That makes it what it is. How did um – so you also did some uh, teaching in, in Kansas City, and you had to bounce around a lot there, mm-hmm. um, just substitute teaching? Yeah. And how did that form How did that form your teaching career, and was that just no big deal, or was that easy? Was that hard? 
Um, going through school, I always thought I wanted to teach fourth grade. Third or fourth grade seemed like what I wanted to teach. Um, and then I found out as I was going through my internships and student teaching, um, I mean, my first internship was in fifth grade. I was like mm, a little older than I wanted, but we'll give it a shot. And I loved it. And my next internship was in kindergarten. And I was like, never wanted to teach kindergarten. Like, I, I don't want to tie their shoes. I don't want to button their pants. It's not my thing. Loved it. Um, ended up doing my student teaching in third grade and loved it. Taught first grade, loved it. And I was like, I just love being a teacher. And so being a substitute teacher in Kansas City, I was able to teach kindergarten through seniors in high school. And I think that that really showed me just how much I do love teaching. It didn't matter where I was, what age the kids were, what subject I was teaching. I loved it. And so, you know, I think that really just helped solidify that I was in the right profession. Um, it was definitely a little scary teaching in Kansas City for the first time. First of all, finding the schools because the district I was teaching in had 23 different elementary schools, I think like five or six middle schools, a couple, five or six high schools. And so just knowing that I was going to be able to find the school was a little nerve wracking. Um, and then not knowing what to expect once I got there. But after a job or two, a classroom is a classroom. And um, it just, it was like riding a bike as soon as you got into the classroom that, you know, it wasn't anything different from Kansas City to here. I was going to say that would be intimidating in itself, knowing that the kids are like, we got a substitute today. We can take advantage of her or, you know, whatever. So that's got to take some some balls to be able to show up and, and demand the classroom um, especially in Kansas City. For the younger kids, I don't think it was any different. Um, I didn't feel any different. I was definitely nervous the first couple times I went and did high school because I was like, these kids are going to be bigger than me. Um, I've, I've always been told I look really young. So I did feel like, okay, I've got to be on my A game so they can't take advantage of me. Um, and I'll never forget the high school senior boys PE class that I was teaching and the snake showed up in the gym and I did not know what to do, but, um, college doesn't prepare you for that, but you just saw, um, even the little kid in them. Cause you've got the, even though they're seniors in high school, you've got a few boys running at it where I'm like, don't run at it. You don't know what kind of snake that is. You've got a few boys in the corner that are like, can we go shower? We're not snake. We don't like them. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. So, you know, every, I always say everyone's just really big first graders. You know, we all result, revert back to that, you know, little kid in us from time to time. I, I liked first grade. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any war stories from – from – even from, I mean, just from the years of thing that might stick out in your mind. Oh my God. How much time do you have? <laughs> I have, I have so many war stories. Um, I mean, the, the snake showing up, that was definitely a war story from Kansas city. Um, my first teaching job at Washington. I mean, I just could go on forever about that one. Um, I mean, I started, a week and a half to two weeks after school already started. So they started the year with a different teacher and I came in 
after school had already started. And, you know, that's one thing that they teach in college is those first few days of school are the most important days. Well, my first year teaching, I didn't get those. You're two weeks late. Yeah. Um, not not because it's your fault. No. And so I kind of felt like I was already, you know, behind. And being a first-year teacher, I think – I don't think anybody would say that their first-year teaching was, you know, magical. Um, and so I think I survived that year barely. Um, I was looking through an old computer, and I had videotaped a few of my lessons – because I was working on behavior management with that class. And so I was trying to videotape myself to learn where I could be better. And I just watched them back oh, a couple of years back. And I remember looking at myself in those videos and just thinking, wow, you look tired <laughs> <laughs> because I was. Um, but those, those students, um, they had a lot stacked against them and, you know, school was a safe place for them, but they were also a place that they knew um, they could kind of release. And I think sometimes uh, I was a punching bag, like not just figuratively. I got punched a couple times. Um, but I saw so much growth in them, just social and emotionally. Um, you could see so much growth with them. So it was definitely rewarding even though it was exhausting and hard. Um, and then after that, I was in special education, and I could probably tell stories again for two days on special education because um, I love those kiddos, uh, but you never know what's going to happen on those days. I was just telling the story about how one day I had in just like the matter of a couple hours in the morning, I had a student go home with lice, one with the flu, one with strep, and then we found out one had fleas all in the same day. And it was just like, what is happening? <laughs> you just need to add a few more for some plagues and you'd, you'd be able to round them out. Yeah, I was like, we need to go home and bug bomb this entire classroom. You might think of any specific instances of, of war stories that might just blow people's minds. Um Gosh, what was I going to ask you about on the – oh, with the um, the special ed kids, what what did they teach you that that you didn't expect for them to? Um, they definitely as, – as a teacher, they taught me how to meet kids where they are at because students with special needs um, – I mean, they are just that. They need something special, and it can't be a blanket um, lesson, and it can't, you know, what's going to work for one student is going is not going to work for the next. And in general education, which is where I'm at now, um, you know, one thing can work for many students, but not all of them. And so my years in special education definitely taught me um, different tips and tricks that I have in my bag to reach some of those students that, you know, might not learn the same way as everybody else. Um, and on kind of a personal level, they definitely taught me acceptance and patience and flexibility. Uh, you just can't, you can't go into each day in the special education classroom and expect it to be like the day before something else is going to happen. Something's going to be different. And, you know, every classroom's kind of like that, but definitely a special education classroom. 
I hope I don't say anything to, to put my foot in my mouth, but um, I was helping with Sperry's uh, softball the other day, and you taught me about those kids a lot because I would have never even, like, looked for the the telltale signs. Mm-hmm. And just hearing you talk and, like, this isn't something we talk about much, but just hearing your, your experience with that – I'm like, it just clicked. I'm like, that girl's on the spectrum and mm-hmm. we got to have a different attitude towards her. Um, she's not quote unquote normal. And some of the other coaches are, are getting worked up because she's losing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you can't treat her like all the other girls. She's obviously on the spectrum, right? Yeah. And one of the other coaches like, oh yeah, she is. And I'm like, then your attitude needs to change towards her compared to the other girls. Yeah. Um, I did through my master's program. Um, I did a lot of study on individuals with autism and it became definitely something I was passionate about because I just love it. It's so interesting. Um, one quote that always stuck with me was if you know one person with autism, you know, one person with autism because every single one is so different. You can't, um, there are those kind of telltale signs that you can look for, but they're all so incredibly different and so incredibly unique and amazing in their own way. Um, But yeah, you've got to kind of try to meet them where they're at and you have to be just extra patient because they don't see a lot of gray every, a lot to them is just black and white um, where we see things in gray and um, can, we can see kind of the difference or, they're just very black and white with the things that they, the way that they think. I remember what I was going to ask you about earlier. Um, watching yourself, recording yourself is not something that people do readily. Is that hard to do? Because I remember when I was first starting to sell, dad would say, well, record yourself so I can listen to it. I'm like, I don't, I don't want you to listen to that. I don't even want to listen to myself uh, and the mistakes that I made. But is that tough? Yeah, it can be, especially in that situation, because uh, the class I had was very challenging and I was a first year teacher. And so I knew that um, I knew I had a lot of areas to grow in. uh, But you also know me and I'm pretty competitive and I like to be good at stuff. And so sitting back and knowing I'm not good at this right now. but my ment- I had a like a mentor teacher that was really helping me through it, and she she didn't even say record this so I can watch it. She just said you need to watch it. You need to record yourself, and you need to watch it. Listen for how many you know positive things you say versus how many negative things you say. Um, look for the way you relate, like your facial expressions, and all of that really really did help as I develop into teaching. And I know that I think teaching is one of those things that you feel comfortable, you feel like you're good at it, but one class can come in and make you rethink all of that. Uh, So it's definitely a profession that keeps you on your toes. So bringing it around full circle then, now that you're at a a Catholic school with fifth and sixth graders, um, they're a little bit older. How, How are they different from all of your previous um, experience or is it just like you said, um, every year is going to be different, new and challenging. 
Um, a little bit of both. And again, I never thought I wanted to teach middle school, which technically I'm a sixth grade teacher, so I'm technically a middle school teacher, but I do teach one section of fifth grade. Um, I never thought I wanted to teach kids that old. But again, I just love teaching. And once I got into it, I realized, again, I love teaching. And these kids are great. I really, really enjoy the older age because I'm able to kind of joke around with them and um, relate to them in a different way. They can pick up on some of my um, sarcasm, which I know you're not really supposed to use sarcasm with students, but they got to learn it somewhere. So um, they pick up on some of that and just the relationships and um, the way I'm able to relate to them. I mentioned I was nervous to take over for Mrs. Shirley Dinkle, especially teaching religion. But I think it was mom that said, I think it's a good place for you because you're really going to be able to relate and these students are going to be able to relate to you. And I feel that because I'm able to, I mean, I'm eight years out of college now, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I'm still able to pull on some of, you know, my experiences from college, my experiences from, um, even just like the dating world, because many of them, you know, they're middle school, they're getting into that, you know, phase where they have crushes on one another and being able to kind of relate to them and talk to them through that, I think has been really rewarding. And again, always being able to pull the Lord into it and just seeing even, I mean, that first year that I taught, I can't even explain how much my own faith life grew just being around them. Uh, They taught me and just reminded me of things about my faith that I had gotten lazy in. Um, And this past year, I've felt that I grew so much in like my virtuous life. Um, But Every every year is different. Every every class brings a different dynamic. We're going to talk about uh, like COVID and quarantine here in a second. I don't want to because <laughs> it's you know I want these podcasts to kind of like live forever. But at the same time, how can we not talk well, about it? It's going to go down in history for sure. But how how is it to be like, hey, welcome to your your dream job here teaching at Holy Family and you're going to be in charge of, of teaching religion. Um, and just to also help people understand, you don't teach fifth and sixth grade. Uh, some people might think is kind of like uh, a homeroom where they get all of their classes from the same teacher, but they let them, they have them bounce around. So mm-hmm. you only teach certain uh, subjects, mm-hmm. but that has to be again, a little nerve wracking to cover religion, cover sexuality and spirituality at a Catholic school. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, Just first of all, asking yourself, like, am I good enough? Am I good enough to do this? Do I know enough about my faith to do this? Um, And I've definitely questioned that multiple times, but then I always kind of look back at it and just think, um, if anything, I can be a lesson to them that we're not perfect. We're not all perfect people. We're not all perfect Catholics, and we're all learning together. And sometimes those little brains will ask me questions that just blow my mind. And I'm like, you know, I don't have the answer to that. I wish I did. Um, And there are some things that they'll ask me where I don't think that there's 
a black or white answer to it. And so I can share my own personal opinion about things, but I can also direct them to the amazing priests that we have that come and visit our classroom. I can direct them to other teachers, just knowing that they're all going to, you know, lead them. We're all, we all have the same goal in mind and we're all leading the students to that goal. Um, so I don't actually remember the question. Did I answer the question? You did. You okay. did fine. <laughs> Were you intimidated to teach sexuality and spirituality oh. and stuff to these uh, young middle schoolers? Yeah. Um, there's not a lot on kind of sexuality that I really have to teach. Um, I teach about marriage in our sacrament section. Um, and so we teach a little bit about that. And then there's a program that I teach in the winter each year. And that's more about, um, like sexual abuse. And I was definitely nervous to teach that the first time. Cause I was like, well, I don't know how this is going to go over. Um, but they're very respectful students. And, um, so they, I mean, they're great. They, and I, I'm sure that they don't want to listen to it as much as I don't want to teach it. Um, but it's so important and they do a good job of listening and being respectful. So yeah, it's a little nerve wracking, but each year it just gets a little bit easier. Um, if there's anybody listening to these in sequential order, they might get tired of me talking about how I'm, I'm trying to kind of revamp this and, and talk to a more diverse range of people. Um, but actually, I want to go back and talk about insurance a little bit. Do you remember how old you were the first time you rode with dad and when you went out to work? Mm, I don't remember how old I was. I was probably second grade, maybe. Oh, wow. Second or third grade. I remember I wore a sweater vest and khakis because dad was wearing a sweater vest and khakis and I wanted to wear the same thing. I feel like I was pretty young. How many times did you go with him? I think just two, not very many. Okay. I remember the basket talk. Okay. So um, we'll kind of recap a little bit. Um, my, If you didn't listen to my dad's podcast or my mom's or anyone, you can go back and check those out. Um, but my dad's been a final expense insurance salesman since I was born in – I was born in 87. He started in 1988 and has done that ever since. So at the time of this recording is almost 33 years. And, um, he would drive, um, usually around three hours and go door to door to people's houses and, and talk with them about insurance. And, um, funny enough, my mom has never gone with him. She has probably never heard his sales pitch unless it's been over the phone or something. And she's never been any of these houses, but, uh, my sister and I have gone with him a time or two. Um, all, all that explanation is to wonder why you didn't ever want to sell insurance. Um, I don't know. I think I like considered it a time or two because I liked the lifestyle that I grew up in. Uh, the fact that dad was around all the time and all of that. I think I liked that lifestyle and I thought about it, but um, it just wasn't my passion. I definitely uh, took after mom in her passion of teaching. Um, and I think I went through a lot of things as a kid saying, oh, I want to be this when I grow up. And teaching was always kind of the fallback, I guess you would say. 
Um, when really I think I just always knew I was going to be a good teacher or, you know, I thought I was going to be one. Um, I wanted to be a forensic scientist, but then I realized I'd have to live probably somewhere that there's a lot of crime and I didn't want to do that. And then I wanted to be a marine biologist, but I really hate fish. So, you know, all of those kind of fantasy ideas, just always knowing that teaching was probably where I was going to be. So now looking back that you are a teacher and you're doing a good job and you're in your, your dream job, but if you couldn't do this, what do you think you would be doing? Hmm. It's a hard question. Um, if I, if I wasn't a teacher, I think I would still be teaching in some capacity, whether that was, um, like personal training or anything like that, where I just feel like that's kind of my niche. Like I, I like to lead people. I like to teach people. I like to share my knowledge. I like to learn things on my own and pass it on. And so I think even if I wasn't a school teacher, I would be teaching in some sort of capacity. Um, or I would, I don't know, be training someone in some sort of capacity. Sure. Let's go back to Kansas city real quick. Um, because you, at at my recommendation, you tried this thing called GORUCK. And, um, you know, we might also explain a little bit to our competitive nature because this was something I was talking with Jill about because um, I'm, I'm getting a tattoo to memorialize you, I guess, or to, as a reminder of you. And it's a secret because I haven't got it yet. And I've been trying to think of what it could be. I have no idea. Well, this will give you a little bit of a clue, but I definitely (laughs) won't give it away. Um, but I was like, okay, Jill, help me with this. Um, because my sister and I have a, a cool relationship in that we're competitive with each other, but we don't hate each other for it. We, it's constantly like, pushing each other to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think GORUCK was one of those things where I found it online. I'm like, this is too cool. We're, I got to do this. And you're like, you do what? I'll do it before you. And I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? I think I was technically signed up before you told me about it. Um, I Or I was thinking about it um, because some of the people that I knew in Kansas City had done one and it was coming back to Kansas City. So the gym was talking about doing it and then you were like hey i heard of this cool thing i was like oh i just heard of that too and i'm like well better sign up then and yeah i guess do it before you (laughs) all right you have to try to explain it to folks in few words go ruck yeah the go ruck Uh, challenge the go ruck challenge it is a 12 hour challenge that occurs overnight so you start at about 10 p.m and go until 10 a.m the next morning it's led by military, and it's a military challenge where you carry backpacks and do whatever they tell you to do. Carry logs, bear crawl, carry each other, get in this disgusting water. You push yourself. You do things you never thought you would do. So did you train for it, or did you just say, I can show up and do this? Um, The first time... The most training I did was just carry my backpack around. And that was the one that, that was the year I used Grant's actual ruck from the army that had a metal frame. And that was a horrible decision because that metal frame just, 
I should have trained more with it. I was like so raw from that metal train af- metal frame after 12 hours. Um, but I'd say the most I did to train for that was just carry that backpack around. I would walk to the gym. I jog to the gym. I do pushups and things with it on, but didn't really know how to train for it since I had never done one before. And I still don't really know that you can train for them because everything (laughs) just, you gotta, you gotta roll with the punches when you're there. At this point, how long had you been doing CrossFit? Hmm. Um, two or three years, I think. I was going to say, because I think CrossFit just gives you that, that baseline of fitness and it, it almost makes you cocky in that, like, I can do it. There's very few things I can't do. Mm -hmm. I know it's going to hurt and it's going to suck, but, you know, talk a little bit about how CrossFit has not only prepared you for Go Ruck, but for teaching for just everyday challenges. Yeah. um, CrossFit definitely prepared me for that and it's prepared me for a lot. Just like you said, um, it teaches you that you can do hard things. Uh, Whatever you're faced with, whatever is on the board for that day um, because it's not the same workout every day at CrossFit and you're going to walk in and you're going to do it. You're going to do it with everybody else and it might suck. It might hurt, but you're going to make it through. And at the end of it, you're going to, you're going to be stronger for it. And that can relate to so many different things in life, whether it's a go ruck where, you know, it's going to be hard, you know, it's going to suck, but it'll be over in 12 hours. Um, to the classroom where you might just be having a tough day. Um, The students might be a little restless or maybe I'm not being able to convey my lesson the way I thought I was or even just technological difficulties. Um, It just taught me stick with it, you know, adapt and move on. And, you know, that's the same thing with CrossFit. You hit a move, you hit something that is – it's not working for you that day or um, something like that. You either stick with it or you adapt and move on. And so all of that just carries through into different facets of life. Yeah, it's amazing the lessons that can be learned in just 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to talk about Bert and his wife, Candace. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a weird thing uh, for me anyway because the majority of my life I've done something before you. And then when you show up, they're like, oh. You're Maddie Mall, and You're this Tucker's is little sister. Uh, the opposite. Um, Bert actually like, oh hey, you're Maddie's older brother, and I'm like, this is very weird for me. <laughs> what did you do in that challenge to? Because I mean, this guy is not easily impressed. You did it though. I don't know. Um, I I really don't know what I did because that was a big class. We had a very big group for that first go ruck challenge that I did. And I'm not really sure what I did. I think it was just, you know, I was very nervous to begin with. And as the night went on, I was there with enough kind of veterans that had done go ruck before that I realized you just got to have a good time with it. Even though it sucks, even though it hurts, you got to put a smile on your face, you got to make a joke and you just got to have fun with it. And so I think 
that might be it. I was willing to um, kind of get in there, joke around, um, and I was tough. Um, I didn't back down from a challenge, and that's something that my whole life has been like that. And so it wasn't anything different there. Um, his wife, Candace was in the challenge with us, and I didn't know that. He never let on that Candace was his wife, and she never let on that Bert was her husband until it was over. And so I think that was part of it, too, is because I related to Candace because she's a badass. And so I think her and I um, kind of bonded throughout the night. And then um, I remember walking at some point in the night just asking Bert questions and just talking to him um, because as the cadre, they are intimidating, but they have to be. And if you start talking to them, they're not that intimidating. And so somewhere walking probably our 20th mile of the night, I just started talking to him and just asking questions and that's it. That's cool. Yeah. I, um, it, it makes me want to do it again. Um, <laughs> and that's what's so hard is because once you've done it and I mean, the first time you do it, you're all psyched up, you're scared, but you don't know what to expect. Then you do it again and you're like, why did I sign myself up for this stupid thing that I know is going to hurt? And then to get nostalgic and want to sign up for your fourth or fifth, you know, people are probably like, we, we need to keep an eye on this guy. He's kind of going crazy. <laughs> but what was your experience for round two to do it again when Jill and I showed up to do our first one? Um, well, yeah, my first one was just a whirlwind. Um, I got my ass kicked, and but I loved every minute of it. And um, just like you said, you get done and you're like, I'm never doing this again. That was horrible. That hurt. I don't know why I ever paid to do this. Someone should be paying me. Um, but talking to you guys, I knew you guys would want to do it. And I knew it was something that I would want to do with you and just – have a memory, you know, just for the sake of the memory of it. Um, I think going into it, then I felt like I needed to take care of you guys, not really take care, but tell you what to expect or, um, kind of just be your, you know, I said, I like teaching. Um, I think that that was just it again. I just wanted to be there to kind of like teach you and show you the ropes more or less. Um, and so going into that one, I was definitely more relaxed because I knew what to expect, even though it was completely different than the first one that we did. Um, I still kind of knew what to expect and I knew to have that sense of humor. That was definitely something I learned in the first one. Um, even though other people in the cadre seem to be very serious, you don't have to be. And that humor's going to get you through the 12 hours. Um, and so the second one was definitely a lot more fun for me. I know it wasn't fun for you and Jill very much, especially Jill, cause she was hurting. Um, but again, you get done and you're like, I don't know why I paid someone to do this yet again. Um, and then we sign up again for a light and we did that one. Um, and I think the, the more you do, they don't get easier. They just get familiar. Yeah. Uh, 
Just as a disclaimer, Jill was hurting because she was breastfeeding. She is the <laughs> one of the toughest people I know, and uh, so it was not uh, it was extenuating circumstances that made her yeah. um, a little less than human. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, but with all of the uh, again more air quotes negative talk that we've said about these things, <laughs> should someone sign up? Should, oh yeah. Should they do it? Oh yeah. Absolutely. It will. I mean, it'll teach you a lot about yourself. It'll give you some good memories, and you you look at things differently in life where you're like, mm, it's going to be hard, but not as hard as what I just did. Yeah. Um. So currently, right now, what's something that you are trying to get better at? Um, on a day-to-day basis? Um, right now, I'm trying to be a better wife and support Ryan in, you know, what he's doing and in his dreams. Um, I know that he does a lot to make me happy, and I'm trying to push myself to, you know, sacrifice more and do more for him. Um, I'm always trying to be a better teacher, but uh, that's... You know, I'm on summer break, so I'm kind of uh, not thinking about the classroom very much right now. But You read a lot of books, though, mm-hmm. and it drives Jill and I crazy because we want to read that many books. But um, <laughs> how um, – I'm going to ask you about more like book recommendations later on, but how do you make it through that, mu- that many pages that quickly? Do you just have a – a routine or when do you like to read? I don't have children. That's how. Um, <laughs> um, having a book on my phone has really helped because I catch myself, you know, I'm sitting in a waiting room or I'm waiting on food and I'd pull up Facebook or Instagram. And now that I have a book on my phone, I pull up my book and I read my book. Um, on a day like today, that's really dreary and rainy and all I want to do is watch Netflix or something, I will force myself to read 10 pages after every episode. Um, And not so much force myself, but it's just, it's easy to just click next episode and just sit there all day when it's raining. Um, So just pulling out the book and reading a couple pages in between each episode, that's kind of been a routine. And then um, I'd say through this whole quarantine, um, Ryan and I have kind of gotten in the routine of getting up. We've, we've stayed consistent in getting up early. It's easy, especially as teachers in the summer, to sleep in and, um, you know, take a slow morning. But we've really f- kind of challenged each other to continue to get up early. And we just drink our coffee out back. And I usually have a devotional that I read Um sometimes an educational book. And then I usually pull out my, um, kind of enjoyment book. Uh, I've, I've also started having more than one book going on because I feel like I'm in a different mood for a different type of read from time to time. And if I'm in the mood to learn something and I'm just trying to read, you know, a Harry Potter book or something, I'm, it's not going to it's not going to meet my needs at that time. And so having a couple different books going has really helped. Um, and then reading at night. I used to, again, stay up and watch TV or check Facebook or whatnot. And Ryan likes to sleep, so he goes to bed really early. Um, and so I've been going to bed at the same time and reading then. Yeah, it's it's something that um, during quarantine, you know, the the worst thing for me with quarantine was it 
it interrupted my routine. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great routine going of, um, you know, like adoration and reading before bed and getting up early and getting the kids to school and just this beautiful routine. And then, you know, society said, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, and so then it, then your mind goes, well, I don't have to get up early tomorrow. I can stay up later and watch some TV, but we'll just do it tonight and tomorrow night and then the next night. And then mm-hmm. two weeks, three weeks later, you're like, whoa, what just happened? You know, so, yeah, having that uh, that routine set up is, is just so important. We almost forgot to talk about how fifth and sixth graders handle quarantine schooling. Um, and fifth and sixth grade teachers. They did good. I think they did good. We, um, I mean, we're blessed. They They are very techie. They already know a lot about technology. We use it in the classroom a lot. And so I think moving into that, it wasn't real challenging. It was for some of them, but not for a lot. Um, like the technology side of it, they were fine with that. Um, I think it really made it clear to us as teachers things that we have not done, uh, not focused on very much like following directions. I mean, you just kind of think by fifth and sixth grade, they know how to follow directions. I mean, that's something you practice in kindergarten and first grade. You think fifth and sixth graders know how to follow directions. And I think that we've kind of personally, I have maybe done a disservice to my students and not making them follow directions as much. I just help them through it. I'm like, oh, you click here, you do that. Well, separated by miles, I wasn't able to do that. Um, And so they they really had to step up and be responsible. Um, And I think for the most part, they did. Um, They did a great job. I had a lot of participation. I had a lot of um, good things happen through that. But it was really hard to not connect with them on a daily basis um, and not being able to say goodbye to them. That was just so hard. And there's so many of them that um, I know there were just like things that were left undone or things that were left unsaid. And I think that that was probably the hardest part. It wasn't so much, oh, I didn't get to teach this lesson. It was, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to share this with my students. Can you think of one one real positive thing that, that sticks out in your mind through that time. Because I think there's, um, like you said, I think a lot of people saw the, the holes or the gaps in it. Those were just exposed. Um, and then of course everybody had something to complain about, but can you think of something that was really good that came out of that time? Oh, I think a lot of good came out of that time. Um, I think as a world, it just caused everyone to slow down for a second. Um, because, the world feels that the busier, the better. And I think it caused everyone to just kind of like slow down for a second, which is good. Um, kind of disconnect from all of the noise. Um, as for my students, I think, uh, a big positive was that they, they did have to have that responsibility. And a lot of them stepped up where, um, you know, maybe they were helping younger siblings with things in school. They were picking up the slack around the house, Um, so I think that they really stepped into that role and they had to be more responsible than they normally would have. And I think that a lot of them were able to connect with their families more just in talking to my students. I heard, you know, I, 
we get to go on bike rides more. We get to do this more. We've been um, we've been baking as a family a lot more. Just the things that when you've got sports and activities and homework that just gets kind of pushed off. I got to hear about the connections that they made with their families. And so I think that that was definitely a positive thing. Yeah. My buddies and I were just talking the other day about how crazy it is that all the bikes are sold out. Mm -hmm. All of the fishing gear is sold out. And it's like, what if, what if this was like everyday life and everybody was spending more time outside and, and doing things together and, and all the outdoor gear was sold out and uh, that is pretty cool to see. Yeah, I agree. I saw so many people around our neighborhood walking and, you know, walking their dogs and riding bikes. It was, it was neat to see. That's cool. Um, let's talk about this new house that you guys just got. Um, it, it was fun to watch. Um, it may not be fun to be a part of, but, um, you went from, I don't know, let's kind of go talk to the bank and see what we're approved for. And then there's this one house that is really close to my parents, our parents, um, that would be perfect. And then it's kind of a disappointment. And then like th- four days later, you're clo- you're <laughs> putting in bids and, and buying a house. Talk about that experience. Uh, it was a whirlwind for sure. Um, I mean... We've always, Ryan and I have always known we want to live in the country. Um, and it's, I think it's great that we both had that dream and that desire because I don't think that this would have gone down the way that it did if it wasn't a dream of both of ours to live in the country. Um, for me, growing up in the country, um, it, it was a no brainer. That's where I always wanted to be. And, you know, Ryan never really had a country home or grew up in the country, but he's so outdoorsy and likes to hunt and um, do all of those things. And so I think that that was pretty easy that we knew that was a dream. Um, Being both of us teachers, we didn't know how soon that dream would happen because, um, you know, we don't make a ton of money. And so we've had to be really smart with our finances and, um, You know, we just talked about this as we were closing. I guess we haven't really closed. But as we were signing papers on this house, um, it probably it wouldn't be possible if it actually wasn't for Brian um, and his, you know, life insurance policy and what he passed on to Ryan. This probably wouldn't be possible without him. And so even though he's not here physically to share it with us, we definitely feel him in that Um, but yeah, you know, it was just always one of those things that we wanted to live out there. If the right thing came, came up, we'd look at it. Um, I think quarantine brought out a lot of, uh, let's get out of the city kind of that, but also, I mean, just time to watch YouTube and Ryan watched a lot of finance YouTube videos and started looking at numbers and seeing where we were at and, Um, you know, we knew that it was possible for us to buy a house at that point, um, right where we were at. Um, but we're in a good position and you guys were kind of in that same position where you didn't have to, we didn't have to rush out of the house that we're in now. You know, we've got a good gig. We've got good landlords, rents cheap. Um, so 
we're in a good position that we could go look, but we didn't have to feel rushed. Um, and Ryan always had a piece of land that he dreamt of building a house on. It's the one that you guys hunt. And um, we always talked about living in the country, but I never expected that from him. And I can't even remember when it was, but he was like, hey, like, I want to build a house into this hill. And I was like, oh, I don't even, I don't even know if we were engaged at that time. Um but it was like, oh, he's already thinking about where he wants to, you know, build our home, which was really neat. Um, and then, yeah, we went and looked at that house that was, you know, a mile away from mom and dad, which would be, you know, perfect location. We loved the location, but the house itself was just a letdown. Um, and we really had to look at it and say, uh, you know, is it meeting, you know, the 75% of what we want. And it was definitely out of our price range. If it was perfect, we probably were going to look and see what we could do. But um, it was it was something that we agreed on. It wasn't, it, it didn't meet our needs and it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And so I think it was good that we were able to step back and kind of communicate with each other about that. Um, and so then we went back to that dream of, buying land and building a house. And, um, we took some steps to see if that would be possible. And again, it, it wasn't looking good for us. <laughs> um, we didn't think we were going to get the land that we wanted. And so, you know, it just kind of was one of those where something would pop up and we kind of get our hopes up, but no, not to get them too high and know that we weren't in a position that we had to move. Um, and then this house came up and Ryan sent it to me on Zillow and I looked at it and I was like, meh, I was pretty unimpressed actually. Um, didn't like it. And I can be a little opinionated from time to time. And no. so <laughs> I was like, no. And he was like, let's just text Sume. Let's go look at it. And I was like, okay. And like the next day he's like, just text Sume. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Which I kind of did. But I, it also just wasn't first thing on my mind like it was his. And so, like I said, I'm trying to be a better wife. Um, and so I was like, yeah, we'll go look at it. And so I, you know, set it up. And we went and looked at it. And, you know, it just... Ryan was giddy. He loved it. You know, it was so much of what he wanted and, um, it might not be everything I wanted, but I could see it. Like I could see kids running around in the yard. I could see playing fetch with the dogs. I could see us out there building a life. And so even though the house isn't perfect, isn't exactly what I would want, you know, my dream is to live in the country with Ryan and I'd live in a tent if I had to. I've only cried <laughs> on a couple of these. Um, single men, if uh, you didn't hear that, um, even if you're just dating somebody, there is a gym in there. You want to win over a lady you talk about building something for her. <laughs> yeah. You talk about your future. You talk about what's coming next. It and works. I think looking at that land at first, it was like, oh, it's further away from Hayes that we wanted to. But the fact that we can look out our front door and see your guys' house, it was like, ooh, that's going to be cool. Like, that's going to be neat that we can grow up, our kids can grow up together. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, there's something in our blood maybe because I did the same thing on our house. I actually drove out to it by myself, uh, turned around in the cul-de-sac and said, no, I'm not even going to tell Jill about it. You know, and I'm like, uh, you know, hey, what do you think? She's like, I don't know. Let's go look at it. I'm like, uh, I'm not impressed either, but that's where we live now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of crazy. Um, I want to go back to Brian's life insurance, too, because growing up wanting to be a life insurance salesman um, is is a tall order, um, mainly because society hates the insurance guy knocking on their front door. And, I mean, I even had a, a girl in my class who told me at my sixth grade graduation when I met dressed up in my shirt and tie. She's like, oh, gross. You look like an insurance salesman. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Um, but you got to see why it's important. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to explain that when you're selling somebody this thing that they don't want to spend money on it. I don't personally want to spend money on my own life insurance, but I got it. Mm-hmm. And it's just so important to have yeah it's it's your legacy um it's once you're gone it's the only you know it's what you pass on and like i said this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for brian and um you know we have his tree um that we planted it was gifted to ryan from his classmates and that was kind of one of the first things we discussed once we knew we got the house was where we're going to put dad's tree because you know he's got to be a part of it because it's you know it's a big thank you to him um and by classmates you mean kids in the class right no oh okay like high school classmates Mm -hmm. from sublette yeah that's awesome i thought that was such a cool idea yeah very cool yeah because we have uh, Grandma Itha's in our backyard, and I even I was telling some of my buddies about this oak tree, and they're like, "Oh, that's that's the coolest thing um, to memorialize somebody who's been gone is this this uh, massive tree that will grow in their in their memory." So mm-hmm. yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I looked up when we were trying to figure out where we're gonna put Dad's tree out there. I was like, "How big do these trees get?" <laughs> and he was he told me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I was like. And, like, how soon is it going to be that big? He's like, oh, somewhere in the next 75 years. And I was like, oh, we don't have to worry about that. Then we can put it there. (laughs) Yeah, we were uh, talking about building a deck and stuff. And Jill's like, I just worry about that tree. It's pretty close to the house. Once we add a deck close to that, like, are we going to have to worry about it? I'm like, it's like 40 to 60 years from getting that. So I don't know that it's really that big of a deal. Yeah. So what – correlations or carryovers do you find from from teaching to everyday life um well i'd say probably the biggest one is patience (laughs) just uh i mean you're a parent so you know kids teach you patience and as a teacher you've got you know 26 of them running around your classroom and um so i think definitely teaches you patience and flexibility um and just kindness in the fact of you don't know what someone's going through you don't know what kind of morning you they had you don't know um if they had breakfast you don't know the battle that they're facing and so just always be kinder than necessary and i think that that's something you know i can 
look at every single student coming into my classroom and I can think, oh man, like that kid really pushed my buttons yesterday or, you know, let's hope so-and-so doesn't do this. Um, or I can look at them walking in the classroom and say like, good morning, it's a brand new day. Let's have a great day. And I think if you can carry that over into everyday life, even just, you know, marriage, you know, I might be pushing Ryan's buttons today, but if we can get up tomorrow morning and say, you know, today's a new day um, and just not hold that grudge and just always be kinder than necessary. Does teaching kids make you less likely to want your own kids? Because I don't teach kids. And so it was kind of like there's a void in our lives that we need to fill but I could imagine as a teacher being like, I got my fill of kids. I don't need to have any of my own at home. Does that go around in your mind at all? No, no, not for me um, and not for Ryan. I think other people maybe, um, but no, I mean, Ryan was ready for kids on her honeymoon. Um, me, not so much. Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to have kids um, whenever that time comes, but um, I think being a teacher actually kind of makes you want your own kids because um, they're just cool little people. They're fun. And you're like, man, I want to do this. Like, I want to be able to, you know, I I get those kids for seven hours a day, which is sometimes more than their parents see them. Um, but I always have to give them away. I always have to send them back. And some of them I want to keep, you know, some of them like you're a really cool kid. And so it makes you want your own, um, makes naming kids hard though, because you've probably had a student with that name, especially between the two of us. Cause Ryan has like 500 students. And so, um, naming kids is hard. So this might be a little bit of a controversial, controversial question. And if you just want to pass, we'll skip past it. But, um, what her, a few things that you've already said, when we have kids, we're dot, 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 going to fill in the blank. We're going to not do, or we are absolutely going to, because um. I'll fill in the blank while you're thinking. Um, I always said that I wanted to do piano lessons with one of my children and none of them have any interest in even trying that. So um, it's one of those things where it's like, I know this would be good for you. You should try it. And and maybe she's uh, even Sperry at seven is, uh, I would think, old enough, but maybe not. Um, I don't know if there's anything that we're like, we're absolutely going to do this or we're absolutely not going to do this. I always said, I'll never have a wrestler, but... Here we are, and Ryan probably wants her kids to wrestle, and so um, they might. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of like the piano lessons. You just got to let them – you can't force them to do it. Um, so, uh, gosh, that's a hard question. I'll have to think about it. One thing I remember Ryan saying, we want to teach our kids to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Um, that was something that we talked about. Um, that's tougher than you'd think. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um Man, yeah, I feel like there are things. I just can't think of them. How do you ask questions to uh, to your students to learn? Like you said, you just followed Bert around and asked him questions. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you practice or that you have a genuine curiosity in your life? 
I think I do. I think I'm just a pretty curious person and I like to ask questions. I like to get to know people. Um, Ryan always says that when we are in conversations together with other people, he's always like, I'm really glad you were there to ask questions. Um, so I think I just genuinely am curious about people. Um, I like to know people's stories. I like to ask questions. Um, one thing I started with my students um, after teaching a lesson or after going through something with them, um, you always revert back to, do you have any questions? And most of them just say no. Um, and so something I've started doing is asking them, what questions do you have? rather than do you have any questions because they'll say yes or no. But if you ask them what questions do you have, then it's implying that they have a question and those that do have a question will speak up. And so that's something that I've just kind of one little change I've tried to make that I've kind of noticed a difference in. That was a suggestion I wanted to give Jill the other day because a lot of times when she asks the kids to do something, she'll say, why don't you go do this? And it's easy for them to say like, no. Or I don't want to, or, you know, it just leads down that path of I'll do it in a minute mm -hmm. rather than go do that. Now I need it done. Mm -hmm. You know, the door's wide open. Can you shut it please? You know, rather than, Hey, why don't you shut the front door? Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready right now. I'm busy playing with Barbies, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another switch that I made and I learned this from, I don't know, some teacher or something one time, um, rather than, you know, telling so, telling a kid to do something or, you know, it works with people, with humans, with adults too, um, is ask them to do something and tell them how to do it. So like, um, I'll just use like a kid in school, for example, um, like, can you walk down the hallway? If you have a kid that's running, you say, hey, please walk down the hallway. Well, they might turn around and walk backwards. They might twirl. They might drag their hands on the walls, you know, but you say, can you walk down the hallway by keeping your hands to yourself and walking forward? So that one word of by helps you explain how you want them to do it and when you want them to do it. Um, and I remember them teaching when I learned it, they were talking about their spouse and like taking out the trash where you're like, Hey, can you take out the trash? And they're like, yeah. And you meant, please do it now. And they were like, I'll get to it by the end of the day. So if you say like, can you help me out by taking out the trash right now? It just explains it better. I don't know. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what does, uh, do you, are you a goal setter? Um, mm -hmm. how, what are the specifics on your goal setting? Um, I think that I've kind of gone through different phases with my goal setting throughout my life. Um, but one thing that I always try to do when setting goals, and this is something that I think has ingrained in us as like really, really young was to write them down. You know, you got to write down your goals. Um, I think it was mom or dad or both of them that the write it down, make it happen. Um, always write down your goals. I used to write them down every single night. Um, I don't do that as much anymore. Um, but writing them down at least once and then putting them in a place that I can see them or refer back to them. Um, and I always like to write them as they're done, as they're completed. Um, so whatever the goal is, like, like past, our, 
past tense. Yeah, like our goal is to live in the country. You know, the goal would be um, we've built a house in the country or we live in the country like it's already happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same here. And I I usually write mine down and then I type them. So it's like I've written them twice Mm -hmm. and actually I even frame them. But I keep in the frame, I keep them. I just stack them up so that I can actually go back and and pull them out over the years. I've seen yours in your room. I think I've read them before. Let's put you out in the future now. And if your future self were to show up here and give you a piece of advice, what do you think your future self would tell you? Um, My future self would tell me to... I don't know. Don't stress and don't take things so seriously. I think sometimes I overthink things too much. Um, And I think my future self would just tell me it's going to be all right. Just go with your first, like go with your gut instinct. Don't overthink it. Like it's, it's all going to work out in the end. It's not up to me anyways. Like it's up to God. So don't think that you can control most things. Who is successful? And while you're thinking of your answer, success means different things to everyone. And I didn't I used I used to say like who's the most successful person, but like you might have a, a range of five or seven people, whatever, but um it doesn't just have to be money, it doesn't have to be, you know, retirement or whatever. Who's successful? Are um, you wanting a name or are you wanting me to describe the person? Both. Who the name and why you think they are. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the first people that come to mind are mom and dad as successful. And it, like you said, it really doesn't have anything to do with like money or anything like that. Um, I see them as successful because I know like the dreams and the goals that they've had throughout their life. And most of them have come true and it's wasn't just for wishing and hoping it's because they worked for it um like the one thing that comes to mind is us going to church every sunday as a family um i don't know when that became a thing or you know why i think it actually started with you because you were older and um just the fact that, I mean, I still was like living at home. So I'd go with mom and dad, but you weren't, and you would always pick up drill and meet us at church. And, um, so as I got older and moved out, you know, I would pick up Ryan and meet you guys all at church. And, um, I know that that was like a dream. I don't know that it was a dream, but it was definitely a goal of them was to like have their family at church. And so, um, that's kind of how I see success is like, having those dreams, having those goals in life, and then making them happen. However, however that happens, it's making it happen. So I'd say that. We're getting, uh, we're going to get into some like quick draw or quick questions here, but there's one more thing I wanted to ask you. And I thought of this um, and I had no idea like where it would fit in and it doesn't really fit in. So <laughs> um, we'll just do it now. Um, my, years in college were not something I want my kids to know anything about. If (laughs) that's the, like the nicest way to say that I was not the greatest person in the world, but you're right in that. Like we didn't miss, um, church ever. 
All right, sorry. We had to pause for a pee break. Um, That's not moving. Is it supposed to be moving? No, I think we're good. The The time's moving. So. Oh, okay. Um, I was saying my question, I was in the middle of a question, so perfect timing. But um, I'm not really proud of my, my college years. Um, but you had the opportunity, we'll call it that, uh, to be my DD and my friend's DD on a very regular basis. Um, what lessons did we teach you? I pray to God, I'm pretty sure nobody ever puked in your car, but no, no one puked in my car. Um, I think I just, I definitely learned like that. I never wanted to, I didn't want to be the drunk girl. I didn't want to be that person. Um, I don't know. I think I just always wanted to be in control of myself and my body. And I think I just learned that from picking you guys up. And while it was very entertaining and I'm glad I was able to help you guys out and you guys were smart enough to use the DD. Um, I just never wanted to be out of control of myself and not remember things. Um, and I don't think you guys ever were like quite to that point. I think I learned that more with my own friends in college when, we'd talk about stuff and they couldn't remember it. I was just like, I never want, I, I always want to be able to remember what happened and I always wanted to be in control. Yeah. And, and that it's such a shame too, to kind of realize like alcohol can be fun. Um, but if you can't remember the fun times, then what's the point? You kind of went a little too hard. Probably it's just painful then. Yeah. Let's get in some, tr- some quick draw questions. Okay. Um, what's one, relatively inexpensive experience you think everybody should try at least once? Camping. Wait, is this like quick, like I have to just answer? No, they don't have to be, um, but let's dive into it a little deeper. (laughs) What kind of camping? Um, Because buying an RV like dad's or um, getting uh, any, even like uh, Jill and I used to have this little uh, fifth wheel was pretty cheap, but you say camping, and that's the first thing that comes to my mind. No, like camping in a tent. Like you should go camp in a tent, even it's if it's in your backyard. You should sleep on an air mattress or on the ground in a really hot tent because it, you know, it just <laughs> challenges you. And I just think anything that gets you out of your comfort zone, or even something like go run a five k or something, you know into a race they're like 20 bucks so i think that's probably pretty inexpensive but just something that gets you out of your comfort zone cook over a fire make coffee over a fire mm-hmm. yeah look at the stars awesome yeah I, I guess i should have explained it quick questions but the n- answers don't necessarily have to be quick you can take as much or little time as you want okay books are there any books you've read multiple times recommendations um, you said you have multiple books going on at once. How do you keep them separated in your mind to make sense? Um, I usually don't start them at the same time. I'm usually in the middle of a book when I start a new one. So I think that like I have a storyline already in my mind of one book, and so then I can start another one. So um, I usually don't read two books of the same genre or the same type at the same time because then I think that can be confusing but I usually have some sort of um, devotional that I'm reading usually just something quick that I can that I read first thing in the morning um, 
usually takes less than five or ten minutes to read. Um, I usually try to have some sort of educational book where I'm either learning about education, I'm learning about fitness, I'm learning about my faith, some sort of educational book to be reading. And then I have just an enjoyable book, usually some sort of, you know, I I enjoy Harry Potter books. I enjoy um, things like that. Sometimes I'll read um, like young adult books that are on my shelf in my classroom so I can talk to them about my, talk to my students about them. Um, I kind of switch it up. And then I usually have an audio book going on that I can listen to while I'm cleaning or doing dishes or walking. Um, I'm about to finish the first Game of Thrones on audiobook that I've been listening to for like, feels like 90 hours because it's so long. Um, but yeah. Is, uh, have you ever gifted a book to somebody, bought it for them? Yeah. I gave you a book. <laughs> I've given dad books. I've given Ryan a few books. Um, but I, I mean, one that you've read personally that you think somebody else should read. Oh, yeah. Um, I, well, and it was gifted to me originally, and then I gave it and I read it every single summer. It's called 32 third graders and one class bunny by Philip Dunn. And it just, any teacher, um, I think, or even, even parents with children would enjoy it. Um, but it just, it's a very lighthearted book. I could read it in a day and it just renews my love of teaching. So after a long school year, all of the stress that comes with end of the year stuff. And then all of a sudden it's over. Um, that book just kind of renews my love of teaching. And it was given to me actually by Miss Helgett. Um, and then I've passed it on to, um, some other teachers. So I love that one. Any other specific titles or authors that you recommend people need to check out? Um, well, I just read one called the wives by Taryn Fisher. Um, it's, it's definitely a, it's a fiction book. It's kind of twisted at times. Um, some R-rated content that I just kind of skipped over, but um, it was definitely good. I I'm usually pretty good at figuring figuring out what's going to happen in a book, and that one had me crazy. Like I hated this character, and then all of a sudden I liked him, and then I hated him again, and then I didn't know she was crazy or it was it literally had me guessing, and then. Like the final chapter, I was like, okay, like this all makes sense. And like in the last two sentences, I was like, what just happened? So I really liked that one, even though there were some parts of it that weren't my favorite. That was a good one. Cool. Um, We talked a little bit about like morning rituals and evening rituals. Wait, I have one more book. Where the Crawdads Sing. That one's, I think it's, I can't remember who wrote it. It's very popular right now. And you know me, I'm kind of like, if everyone's doing something, I'm not going to do it. So I didn't think I was going to read it. Um, But then I joined an online book club because I was bored during quarantine. And that's the book we were reading. And it's really good. So you should read that one too. You might make a good stock investor. It's really good to buy stocks when nobody's talking about them. Exactly. Yeah, uh, specific morning and evening rituals. Are there certain things that you like have to do? I mean, other than brush your teeth and stuff like that, but uh, morning and evening uh, rituals, are there any specific things that you do all the time? Uh, my number one thing for morning ritual is make my bed. I My life feels a mess if my bed is unmade, um, which is completely opposite from Ryan. Ryan would never make the bed ever if it was up to him. Um, and so... I make the bed. Uh, I would say that that's like my number one morning thing that I have to do. Um, 
within the last year, I've definitely gotten into a ritual of reading my devotional in the morning. I used to always be an evening devotional person, and I would kind of journal along with it. But for some reason, that just wasn't sustainable for me. I don't know whether I would just get too busy or I'd forget or I'd be too tired. Um, But this past year, I've kind of made the change to moving it into the morning. And that's been really great for me. So um, I'd say those are kind of my two things is, well, three, coffee, devotional, and make my bed. Um, Nighttime routines. Um, everything has to go back to its home. Like I have to do a sweep through the house and like things need to go back to, um, I, someone was talking one time that you put your house to bed and I totally do that. I just, I have, everything has to be back in its place before bed, maybe a little Monica Geller in me. Um, but like the pillows need to be back where they were and stuff. So I kind of put my house to bed before I go to bed, which will probably change once I have kids, but I don't know. It drives me crazy because Jill does the same thing. And I'm like, they're they're going to trash the house in the morning anyway. Why do we have to pick these toys up? Like, I, under, I understand we need a place to walk if you have to get up in the middle of the night. But, like, do we have to put everything in its home? And yes. we do. Yes, you do. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's going to go away. Um, do you have any quotes, sayings, mantras that you keep around as, like, a constant reminder? Um, yeah, I've got quite a few. I feel like I can kind of throw a quote into many different situations in life. Um, one that's just kind of been on the top of my head lately with everything that's going on in the news and in the media. And it's something that I bring up a lot with my students is, um, the quote to be confident because you are a child of God, be humble because everybody else is too. And so I think that that's just one that kind of has stuck with me for a long time. And I try to teach my students that. And with everything going on, it's just been kind of playing in my head. Do you remember um, what dad used to have on his checks? He had pens made up around his office. Do you remember what it was? Attitude is everything. Yeah, that's one that is just recently been reignited in myself because I hear so many people with just crappy attitudes and i'm like you know what this this world would be a whole lot better if we all just had better attitudes yeah i think um i was actually just looking yesterday and what i want to put on my new bulletin boards for the year you know refreshing my classroom and um one was your attitude determines your direction and kind of goes with the same thing but um i think that that would be good for some uh, pre-teens to hear or read each day. What's uh, one to two things that people could uh, do differently or change in their in their lives that you think would have a drastic impact on them? Um, be grateful. Um, try to think of three things every day that you're grateful for. Um, I think it's really easy to complain and I get into that same routine that I can complain about things. But I think if you can just stop yourself and say like, what three things am I grateful for right now? Um, I think that that would be something that could help change your outlook on life. Um, and it's okay if they're the same things. Because I think I get caught up in that is that if I'm going to start this thing where I'm grateful for three things, I have to think of three new things every day. And I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. And I like to do it at different times during the day because I think that helps um, where like I'm 
stuck behind a slow driver or something and I'm feeling frustrated, I can just be like, okay, what three things am I grateful for right now? I'm grateful for a car that gets me places. I'm grateful for, uh, you know, police to keep me safe on the road. Um, so just like in that moment. How many times when you're when you're frustrated with that slow driver that you look down and it's a veteran plate and yeah. you're thankful for that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that helps. Um, and then I think something else that can help change is uh, answer your phone with a smile. Uh, people, your voice sounds different when you're smiling. And so I think if whenever and whoever's calling you, if you can put a smile on your face and say hello, it's going to make that person's day better. It's going to make you in a better mood. So just try to answer your phone with a smile. Do you have any uh, podcasts, books, recommendations that are part of like your everyday life or that you recommend for people? Uh, right now, I've been listening to um, Brene Brown quite a bit. I really enjoy her. Um, so I would say that that's probably my most recent recommendation. Um, I, I like her. Is there anything else you want to add from your point of view that you want to tell people about? There's one more question before we sign off. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we go... What would you like for your personal legacy to be? My personal legacy. I like this question. I'll, I'll let you kind of think of your answer, but it's cool because I don't think that people think about this on a regular basis and to be put on the spot and just say, what do you want to leave behind? I think what I want my legacy to be is um, just a legacy of kindness, generosity, and fun. Um, just to have fun every day, find a way to just have a good time, um, be generous, and be kind. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was fun. <laughs>